Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Macabre for Mortals. I just wanted to first put out a big apology for not releasing an episode last week. Life unfortunately got the better of me and I seemed to run out of time for even just the smallest of tasks. My son turned six and all the birthday and school commitments just completely swamped me. Plus I've just actually started studying again and being this time I have to do it remotely and do some classes and lectures via Zoom. It has actually been a completely new ball game to try and get my head around. So thank you all for your patience and your listenership. As I discussed at the end of the last episode, I am going to be covering The Legend of Mirrors and just cover the most probably famous legend of a mirror that has captured people's imagination. I'm theoretically a competent adult woman, a human being who holds down a job, dutifully gets her fire extinguishers refilled every year and sort of knows her credit score. But I've always been kind of scared of mirrors. And I mean, I don't have catastrophobia or estrophobia, which are the actual medical terms for the straight up fear of mirrors. I've been known to waste massive amounts of time using mirrors to do respectable adult things like straighten my hair, put my makeup on, but put me in a darkened room with a mirror and I become quite scared of it. So why am I so scared by darkened mirrors? Do I think that some vengeful ring style ghost is going to come out of said mirror and get me? Or do I think I'm going to accidentally look in the mirror as the eventual ringside ghost is already here hanging around behind me and just waiting for the right moments to dramatically eat my brain meats? I can't really say. All I can tell you is that I've actually moved certain furniture in order not to sleep next to a mirror. No, I'm not particularly proud of that. But I'm just reporting the facts. And even when the facts are that I am a gigantic scaredy cat. My anxiety around poorly lit mirrors would probably seem to imply that I actually suffer from something caused spectrophobia, the fear of ghosts, which is actually also often associated with mirrors because items such as mirrors hold a lot of supernatural baggage for many of us but ghosts aren't really the end of it either mirrors play a role in many myths as a place where reality and the supernatural meet so it makes some sense that our culture has so many enduring legends about mirrors and that said legends are often creepy as well as a mirror in a dark room. The first one I wanted to cover is that broken mirrors damage your soul. 
Surely you've had the pleasure of breaking a mirror and having some helpful person inform you that you have now given yourself seven years of bad luck. Fabulous. You probably did not pause to reflect on this idea too deeply, possibly because you're more focused on making sure not to accidentally step on any shards of sharp broken mirror. But how do you decide to look a little bit further into it? You would have found that this superstition stems from an ancient myth that holds that the mirror reflects not just your external surface, but also your soul as well. Ancient Romans believed that the soul was regenerated every seven years. So if you messed with a mirror, you had to consider your soul equally messed with for seven years until you could technically grow a new one. The most important moral of this ancient Roman story. I was staring into the mirror for an hour this morning because I was trying to straighten my soul's hair. There is also a big common myth that ghosts live inside mirrors. Most girls when they're growing up and even boys, but I've heard most of this from female summer parties because that's certainly what I attended. Um, And this was certainly a slumber party in the 90s, late 80s, early 90s, before the, well, that Netflix came out and this was the time of the VHS and when you could rent them from Blockbuster. But before this, then you're probably familiar with the game Bloody Mary. Game players entered a darkened room and chanted some version of the phrase Bloody Mary into a mirror and varying the amount of times. In my neck of the woods, it was three times. But the legend actually can call for it to be repeated up to 13 times. In some versions, you do it in darkness. In others, you clutch a candle or a flashlight. In some versions, the woman you're invoking is a murderer. So the murderer was actually um, a lady who'd murdered her children and her husband. In others, you are trying to invoke a demon. And yet, in other versions, it's Mary I of England, who was nicknamed Bloody Mary during her reign. Mary I was the first child of Henry VIII, and she came to be queen just after her brother Edward. Edward actually died quite young, and he appointed someone called Lady Jane Grey to become queen of England, but she was only queen for nine days before Mary came into her rightful throne and actually had her beheaded. Mary was a staunch Catholic and as Henry VIII had actually um, brought the Church of England into England's religion because he wanted to get divorced from Mary's mother, Catherine, she still remained Catholic and she wanted to bring back Catholicism as the country's religion. However, she went about it the wrong way. She murdered and killed a lot of 
um, Church of England vicars and priests and did a lot of awful things just to bring back Catholicism, which I don't agree with what our father did, but I don't agree with what she did either. Going back to the Bloody Mary, in all versions of this game, when you're done with a ritual, a ghoulish woman is supposed to lunge out in the mirror. And I don't know, is meant to chase you around and haunt you. I can't say that I was ever brave enough to go through with the three times, so I'm not that sure. I'm probably being a little bit comedic about this, but I'm sure those childhood games of Bloody Mary are actually probably at the root of my mirror fears. And I'm not really the only one. This myth is also the basis of the still good 1992 horror movie Candyman. I've actually only just recently watched Candyman in the last six months, and I actually really enjoyed it. I think it is actually still a really good movie, and it's got a really good basis to still be sort of relevant and a bit spooky. However, folklorists locate the roots of the Candyman story not in an actual ghost who liked to victimize people through the mirror, but in an older ritual where young women chanted a special incantation in front of a darkened mirror to, in order to try and get a look at their future husband. But why was Candyman in the mirror? We'll probably never know. And what if you do actually see something in the mirror while you're tromping around a dark, invoking a deceased British royal? Odds are that you're actually probably simply experiencing something called the Caputo effect, a psychological effect that leads us to react to sensory deprivation with imagination. When the effect was studied in a lab by placing students in front of a darkened mirror for several minutes, they began to think that they saw the image of a different face in it, when in reality they were seeing their own reflected reflection with added details created by their minds. I also think that we all have a perception of what our face looks like, and obviously we're actually seeing the opposite of what our face looks like, because it's a reflection. And I think that the more that we actually stare ourselves in the mirror, the more details that our eyes actually see and our brain is recognizing those details. So I do believe that our faces could actually change. But I also think that with our imaginations railing, that we would also be able to create those different things. There is also the myth that you can access a creepy mirror world whenever you like. So a new twist on the classic mirror game, and this is a Reddit popularized write, involves setting up a candles, a fan, mirrors, and three chairs. One that you sit in and two that you place mirrors upon and then engaging in a series of ritualistic actions are supposed to allow spirits or creatures of some sort to take residence in the mirrors occupying the roles of queen and fool and answering your questions. If you do play this game and you do happen to see a being in one of the mirrors, which are you 
supposed to gaze at indirectly. This is possibly another more of the Caputo effect. And if you hit answers, well, it might just be a case of the pareidolia, a psychological phenomenon where you perceive a pattern where one doesn't actually exist, which can cover everything from seeing a stain that looks like the Virgin Mary to, yes, hearing words in a rhythmic whirring of a fan. Or you may be communicating with demons. There has actually been a long thing about mirrors being in those ritualistic settings and having that mirror world is something that has actually been written in a lot of fantasy. So you have the mirror of Erised, which is in Harry Potter, which you look at and you see something that your heart desires. And then you have Alice Through the Looking Glass, the second installment of Alice in Wonderland and how she actually travels through the looking glass, so through the mirror, into Wonderland again. And that's where she actually, the first one that she actually de defeats the Jabberwocky in that one. So more than we're aware, we're actually exposed to mirrors being into our myths and into all the different fantasy novels. Another one is in a time where possibly there was not a lot of mirrors around. Glass was very hard to come by. That's why there was lots of little panes of glass in a lot of historical buildings. But for mirrors, like a lot of people would only ever see their reflection in water. There is a part in one of my very favorite books in Lord of the Rings, in the Fellowship of the Ring, where Frodo was actually made to look into, basically, it's um, the water that Gladriel tells him to look into and where he can see the future, but also things that might happen or things that might not happen. So there's a lot of different flowing myths and legends, which actually do go through our fantasy novels, but obviously has actually come from somewhere, as I've mentioned before, saying about the Romans believing that the soul actually renewed every seven years. Speaking of souls, there is also the myth that the soul of the dead can become trapped in mirrors. Of course, the Bloody Mary legend isn't just based on some harmless pre-online dating romantic fun, but it also seems to draw from the ancient cross-cultural myth that the dead and mirrors interact quite poorly. In Jewish culture, when someone dies, all mirrors are covered in the house, while the members of the household mourn for a week, engaging in a practice called sitting shiva. According to some old Jewish myths, this is because demons visit homes where there has been tragedy or loss. And while they cannot be seen by the naked eye, one can see their reflection in mirrors. So they are the essentially reverse vampires. Um, keeping the mirrors covered keeps mourners who are already dealing with enough problems from being startled by the sight of these dead loving goblins.
more commonly understood, however, is reasoning holds is that the mirrors are covered because praying before mirrors creates a chance that the person praying could become distracted, which is also a totally reasonable explanation. In some German and Dutch cultures in the past, mirrors were covered up after death because it was believed that catching a glimpse of yourself after a, after a member of your household died meant that you would go next and soon. And some historians have documented older Chinese superstition that held that if a corpse is taken past an uncovered mirror, they will become a ghost. And some old Irish beliefs also held that the soul of a dead person could become trapped inside a mirror that was brought near the body. And rituals involving covering mirrors after death were also found in some Indian, English and Scottish cultures. But in Victorian culture, the practice of covering mirrors became non-denominational. Supposedly all mirrors were covered when Abraham Lincoln's body was laid out in the White House. So what are we supposed to take away from all of this? To beware of mirrors, or at least don't stare into them in a darkened room? It's not totally for me to say, but I hope the next time someone tells you about messing up their back, moving a hotel bed away from a mirror, it was because it was just too freaky for them and you might have a little bit more empathy with them. However, I am going to move on to discuss one of the stories about mirrors, which has always fascinated me. The Legend of Bela Lugosi and His Haunted Mirror. Bela Freca Dizzi Balasco, known professionally as Bela Lugosi, was a Hungarian American actor best remembered for portraying Count Dracula in the 1931 film and for his roles in other horror films. After playing small parts on the stage in his native Hungary, Lugosi gained his first role in a film in 1917. He had to leave the country after the failed Hungarian Communist Revolution of 1919 because of his socialist activism. He acted in several films in Weimar, Germany before arriving in the United States as a seaman on a merchant ship. In 1927, he appeared as Count Dracula in a Broadway adaptation of Bram Stoker's novel. And then he later appeared in the 1931 film Dracula, directed by Todd Browning and produced by Universal Pictures. Through the 1930s, he occupied an important niche in horror films with their Eastern European setting. But because his Hungarian accent limited his potential casting, he unsuccessfully tried to avoid typecasting. This Dracula has to be one of my favorites to watch on Halloween. I love how dark it is and how all the characters portray the characters that were in the novel. I actually didn't see this movie first. I'd seen several other Draculas first. Wes Craven's Dracula or Dracula 2000 was one of the first ones that I ever saw. 
but I actually watched Leslie Nielsen's Dracula Dead and Loving It and I thought that was hilarious but I didn't realize that they just completely copied the whole layout of the 1931 Dracula with Bela Lugosi in it and I can see the similarities between them and it does make it a little bit funny but I can also appreciate how well that movie has was produced for 1931. It was fantastic. If you ever get the chance to watch it, please do. I know it's an old movie, but how well everything is done and how scary it must have been for people during the time. It must have been a really nice outlet for when they were going through such tough times. So meanwhile, during this horror films, Bela Lugosi was often paired with Boris Kaloff, who was able to demand top billing. To his frustration, Lugosi, a charter member of the American Screen Actors Guild, was increasingly restricted to minor parts, kept employed by the studio principally so that they could put his name on the posters. Among his pairings with Kaloff, he performed major roles only in the Black Cat of 1934, The Raven in 1935, and Son of Frankenstein in 1939. Even in The Raven, Karloff received top billing despite Lugosi performing the lead role. By this time, Bella Lugosi had been receiving regular medication for sciatic neurosis, and he became addicted to morphine and methadone. His drug dependence was known to producers and offers eventually dwindled to a few parts in low-budget films by Ed Wood, with a brief appearance in Plan 9 from Outer Space, which came out in 1959. Lugosi was actually married five times, but only had one son, Bella George, and he actually sadly passed away in, in the 1950s. So after Bella Lugosi died, a man named Frank Salatri had rented Lugosi's home. And a mirror behind the curtain hung in Frank's bedroom. It has been informed that Frank died a horrific death in that bedroom. A likely mob hit stating he had screwdrivers to the back of the elbows, to the knees and to the back of the head. He was shot and that screwdriver dug out those bullets. The only witness to this event was the mirror. And if Bella had left any kind of portal open, all the energy from the murder looking into this mirror and also the energy from that horrific death would be trapped in there. Frank Salatri was a criminal lawyer and a part-time producer, director, writer and actor. He also wrote several film scripts. Most were spoofs of classic horror films and succeeded in producing one, Blackenstein, in 1973. By all accounts, he was a fun and loving man. But sadly, he was murdered. So, just a little bit more background. So, Bela Lugosi was allegedly into the occult and may have used this mirror in with the rituals. 
this links back to the ritual that I said earlier about sitting with the candles and having the two mirrors. But it could have been some sort of ritual surrounding that, but just the one mirror. Another former owner of the house and the mirror says that she feels that the mirror has something bad attached to it. And her daughter actually had a bad experience with it. So while discussing the events, she said that when looking into the mirror, her daughter first saw a hand reaching out to get her. And then she slowly felt teeth marks against her neck as a shadowy figure appeared in the mirror. She then goes on to explain that when she slept in the same room as the mirror, she had a nightmare and woke up with scratches all over her body. This is the sort of harking thing about bad energy being attached to an item. And this is certainly something that can happen. People have a lot of feelings about bad energy being attached to an item. And this is just one of those items. It could have been because Lugosi was doing something in the occult. I can't comment on that. That's, it's not something that I have a lot of knowledge in and I don't want to prejudice anyone in any certain way, but he could have been out of his depth. There's certain things even in mainstream religion that if we're out of our depth with, then we certainly shouldn't be performing them. Or if we're not trained in the right way, that goes with any job. But also for the mirror to be the only witness of a really horrific gangland murder, that could also have that negative energy attached to it. We don't know whether Frank Salatri was looking into the mirror because that's the only way that he could look. We really don't know. So what happens to the mirror? The owner of the Lugosi house no longer wanted the mirror. None of the Lugosi family wanted the mirror. And that they claimed that they couldn't really sell it or give it away, which I think is hard to believe because surely someone would want to own the mirror previously owned by Bella Lugosi, even if it is alleged to be haunted. Eventually, the mirror was donated to Zach Baggins' haunted museum. And shortly after accepting the mirror into the museum, the basement was flooded. And as Zach went to investigate, he recorded bangs and rattlings into the basement. Apparently, the pipes were all intact before this. But could this have been something from the mirror that's come out and not liked where it was being held? Or could it just been that it was broken pipes in the first place? But you do actually have the opportunity in his haunted museum in Las Vegas to actually go and look at the mirror. He does have other certain haunted items. I don't know whether I would actually be brave enough to go in and have a look. I think the anticipation and the whole hype around everything would make me probably a little bit too nervous. So obviously there are lots of other stories about mirrors. I just really wanted to cover the basis of everything and just give a general overview of mirrors and a few of the different myths behind them. And Bella Lugosi is one of my favorite sort of 
first time Hollywood actors. I just think his acting in the Dracula must have been so good for them to pick him off the Broadway show and then put him in to the film. I think I just have a little bit of a soft spot for him. But I do believe that sometimes energies can be attached to things. And yes, I do also believe it could be psychological because we know that something bad has happened and we put that attachment to it. That is very possible. So my sources this week were just very simple ones. I used mainly a Bustle article. I also watched Ghost Adventures with Zach Bangins in. I also did a few Wikipedia searches um, just to get some background information on Bella Lugosi and also just a few on Frank Salatri. I know this has been a little bit of a shorter episode and as I said, please forgive me for um, missing last week's episode. I just lost the amount of time which just seemed to get on top of me. Thank you for listening to another episode of Macabre for Mortals. If you do have any questions or any content that you'd like me to cover, then please email them to macabreformortals at gmail.com. Please, if you get a chance, follow our Instagram page at Macabre for Mortals. And thank you for taking the time to listen. Next week, I'm going to be covering the topic of multiple personality disorders. I'm going to cover what it actually means medically and psychologically. Also, what it's actually written out in the DSM-5. Then I don't know whether with the amount of information I'll have or whether it'll be the next episode, I'll do the the role that they play in crimes and when they've been used as a form of a defence, then pleading insanity. I think it's something that has actually been seen, like the multiple personality disorders has actually been fictionalised in a lot of movies and what is actually fact and what is actually fiction, I think I would like to pull apart for you. I hope you all have a great week and thank you for listening. Bye. Thank you.